podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Salah. Escape Cancela. Oh, it's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Son had a goal and still a beauty. Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemans. De Bruyne. And it is what... Oh, it's in Nelly Fortress. Still going up. Oh, he's done it again. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable, with your host, Tadiwa Chanakira, and his guest, Khaled Patel. It's game week four, and you know what that means. It's time for another episode of A Tad Predictable. It's episode 77, and I am joined by Arsenal season ticket holder, solicitor, and one of my good friends, Khaled Patel. Khaled, welcome back to the show. I'm seeing, you know, on the run sheet here, the title is Momentum for this podcast. And there are certainly a lot of teams that have momentum. There's some that don't have momentum. We saw... We saw Two of those teams last night um, at time of recording in that Man United Liverpool game, um, and look, I've I've seen uh, and it's one of my favorite motivational videos, and it discusses momentum in that video, and and, and it says you know that momentum is a cruel mistress, um, it can turn on you on a dime, you know, and that type of thing. Now, Arsenal as an Arsenal season ticket holder have the momentum this season if we were to do a power rankings you know of the premier leagues the top five hottest teams in the league i don't think anyone could dispute that arsenal are top of that power rankings at the moment first and foremost welcome back onto the show you got signed on for the season uh when the transfer Ooh. window um so you obviously came on for your trial during the uh, state of the nation address series in the preseason. you spoke well in arsenal you got some good reviews you got some um comments about your um Xhaka love <laughs> you got some hate for your Xhaka love I saw I saw some criticism about that but um nonetheless you got signed for the season how are you feeling uh being back on the show and how are you feeling about how Arsenal have started so far knowing that at the halfway point of this podcast we are going to go a bit deeper into into why Arsenal has started so well yeah, uh, thank you firstly for having me on and for signing me for the season. Uh, I was signed for far less money than Anthony Gordon's going to be signed for by Chelsea. <laughs> uh, some positives since the last time we spoke. Torreira has left on a permanent transfer, thank goodness. Uh, and yeah, no, I'm, I'm buzzing with the start of the season, to be honest. I mean, we've been exceptional. Uh, this is literally, I'm watching the All or Nothing documentary at the moment. We lost the first three games last year. We've won our first three games this year. Uh, top of the table uh, and excited to delve into the reasons why, I, in my opinion, we've uh, improved so much since last year. Excellent stuff. And look, if you win every single game for the rest of the season, you've won the league. You know, pretty easy. I mean, easy. we've been, um, we've, we, we've been uh, unbeaten for a whole year, so I would never put it past us. But uh, yeah, let's see. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting stuff. Now, Khaled, let's move on. I've mentioned, you know, um, and what was last week, I dubbed it the Red Flags derby. It was Man United versus Liverpool, both teams that were in 
danger of messing up their seasons. Now, maybe not completely ruining their seasons, but certainly getting off to a slow start is never a good thing. And as you mentioned, you you saw that last season with Arsenal. It's different for you guys this year. Now, Man United have to go to Southampton this week. Southampton team that have twice come back from, you know, goal deficits. Um, last time it was a draw and then, then, then in the Leicester game, they end up winning a game instead of just drawing it from behind. Shea Adams stepped up in the department that, to me, looks... <laughs> he came out of nowhere. Yeah, he came out of <laughs> Like, yeah, I've, I've been complaining about them not signing a, a, a an adequate striker. Uh, and there are a few teams that are in that bracket for me. But, yeah, yeah well, if Shea Adams is going to deliver, then fair enough. Did you see that goal? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where, how how can he even do that? Like, has Lyndon Dyke's been showing him something at Scotland <laughs> practice? Like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, genuinely, I don't think he had the ability. Like, I don't think he had the facilities to do that. Um, you don't have so, the yeah. facilities for that big man. Exactly. I, I'm telling you, there's something at that Scottish training pitch, yeah? Gordon's jacket must have been wheeled on to show him how to do that because I was shocked. I was like, where the hell did he pull that out from? Yeah, look, can he pull it off consistently, I think, is the question for Southampton uh, fans. And obviously, as I said, Man United won the Red Flags derby. I don't know if you can celebrate that too much when both teams are not playing well, but it's a derby game. It's it's a fierce rivalry, and they did win it. The question for me with Man United, and as we get to the Southampton-Man United game, is all well and good. But I've always said Ronaldo is the arsonist and the firefighter. So the moment he gets back into this team, we're going to see Bruno disappear. We're going to see the young players not be as fluid. Does does Ronaldo come back into this team for the Southampton game? Me, personally, I wouldn't want to see him in there because I think the people that played uh, against Liverpool deserve to keep the jerseys and keep the starting spots. But this is Cristiano Ronaldo. They're not going to keep him on the bench, are they? And... And how do you think Southampton cope with them uh, in this game? Yeah, uh, personally, my opinion on Ronaldo is, I think, <clears throat> historically in the GOAT debate, I've always had him ahead of Messi. Uh, I know that may draw some criticism, but I've always been a fan of Ronaldo. Uh, however, having seen his behaviour this year, I think he is a dressing room cancer. Uh, and my advice to... Manchester United, as an Arsenal fan, having dealt with previous cancers, Bamiang, Ozil, etc., would be let him go. Uh, I remember seeing saying last year that Manchester United actually started off really well last year. Ronaldo got signed, the whole season went downhill, Oli got sacked, uh, and all the momentum that they had built up it had basically just disappeared. Personally, I wouldn't bring him into the team. They had an amazing performance against Liverpool, uh, and why ruin that someone who cares more about themselves and individual stats uh, than the team? Uh, the team should always come first. Uh, so my opinion would be they should release him. Uh, if he's if they can't find someone for him, which it doesn't seem that they can, uh, just release him, be done with him, uh, and focus on what they have currently. And that is just people that were running really, really hard yesterday uh, and trying for the team. Uh, that's what I would suggest. What do you think? Yeah, for me, look, it's no secret for me that I think Ronaldo's, as I said, I call him the arsonist and the firefighter for a reason. He will get United into trouble by, he stifles their entire team because the team tries to play to his strengths and tries to cater for him 
he's the only one that can really get shots on target and score goals. And yeah. he's the first pass everyone looks for. And this United team isn't built like that. They're, they're built for a counter-attack, fast, pacey wingers, central midfielders that are... Scott McTominay could thrive in a Man United team that isn't asking him to do much. He can be the Darren Fletcher. Just get the ball and pass it to someone else. That's all you have to do. Stand stand in front of the midfield, uh, in, in front of the defense, get the ball off the other team, pass it to someone else. And he don't forget, form. they always have to lift up Lissandro Martinez at set pieces or to make sure he can head the ball. And Scott McTominay is quite big. So if you put Scott McTominay lifting up Martinez, that's quite a formidable <laughs> duo uh, in the box there. But yeah, look, um, yeah, so if, if I'm them, I... Uh, I, I would be looking to release him as well. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he stays, and I think he's going to cause problems for them. He's, he'll still get his goals because he's Cristiano Ronaldo. That's what he does. He yeah. gets goals. So he'll still get his numbers. But overall, the team suffers. We've seen Bruno not play as well when Ronaldo's on. We've seen the likes of Rashford look devoid of confidence when he's playing next to Ronaldo. I just don't see why they don't just trust the youth players, trust the process, <laughs> Yeah. Go speak to Mikel Arteta about trusting the process and getting rid of prima donnas, and and maybe that's a blueprint that they could follow. Genuinely, but and we release players like Aubameyang's about to go for thirty million to Chelsea apparently, and we got rid of him for free. But it's done wonders for our team. I mean, it sets the example, doesn't it? Yeah, it sets the tone. Um, let's set the tone for this podcast with your score predictions for Southampton yeah. versus Man United. What have you got here? Yeah, uh, to be honest, I think. Southampton, they tend to fold uh, when Man U go uh, and play them. So I would say I'd go with 2-1 United. The reason being, I don't think Man U are fully there. I think uh, the Liverpool game flattered them a little bit. They played really well, but uh, I don't back Southampton at all uh, in any of these types of fixtures. They've had a good start to the season. I think they're on four points. Uh, that's far too good for Hasselhoven. So I would go with 2-1 Man U. Yeah, look, let's start in harmony. I'm, I'm gonna st- I'm gonna go with two one as well because that's the one that I have written down here. Yep. I was I was gonna change it, but let, let's start on a good note. Um, for all the reasons that you've mentioned, the the one key thing though for Hasenhutel, which I think is in these games that they've gone behind, they've still fought for him. So at least from the outside looking in, he hasn't quite lost the dressing room in maybe the way we thought would happen. If if they're still willing to come back from behind instead of just lying down and taking you know defeats every time they concede yeah. so fair enough to him for that and we'll see if they can try yeah. and pull something off like that in this game yeah. but uh coming back from behind uh yeah. Brentford tried to do that against Fulham um it wasn't quite as successful as they would have liked it to have been um now I mentioned in in last week's podcast when we were predicting the Fulham Brentford game that I thought there was going to be an energy dump from Brentford Mm-hmm. And it's it, you see this time and time again with teams in the Premier League where you're playing a big team like a Man United, you're going to get up for it. The players are going to get up for it. And then you dismantle them 4-0. Players start to believe their own hype instead of yep. sticking to what good coaching that they have there and sticking to the game plan. And they go, then go put on a performance the next week that is kind of, you know, it, it's hard to, to understand how you know, the result from last week compared to this week. But they came up against the game uh, Fulham side and, and credit to Fulham for that and we'll get to them in a bit. But yeah. I'm interested to see how this game goes. Obviously, a Brentford side that 
came back to reality a little bit after after the highs of Man United against an Everton side who can't buy a win at the moment. Um, I'm, I've made no secret about um, I don't think Lampard is one of the good managers in the Premier League. I, I think yeah. if there was a relegation zone for managers, he would be in there for me. Um, and I don't think he would be close to getting safe. Um, I, I put Steven Gerrard in that relegation zone Literally, as well. I was just about to say that. They're two of the worst managers I think I've ever seen in the Premier League. Like They are absolutely atrocious. Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to go... I'm, I'm going to come up with my score right out the bat. Yeah. And I'm going to back the good coach versus the not good coach. Um, Everton have done some decent signings uh, in the window at times. Um, they still don't have that player that can come in when Calvert-Lewin gets injured. Not if, but when Calvert-Lewin gets injured. You yep. knew he was going to get injured this season because of precedent, uh, and they haven't replaced him. I think that's going to be their downfall in this game because a well-coached team is not going to concede to this Everton side, in my opinion. I've gone 2-0 to Brentford. Um, is that a too bold a statement? How, how are you feeling about this game? Yeah, no, uh, I would definitely back a, a home win, definitely a Brentford win here. Uh, I have been... Fairly impressed with Brentford. Uh, I think having Ivan Tony up front is a massive advantage. I think you mentioned it earlier on. Uh, the league are lacking number nines and centre forwards. And I mean, to be honest, there's a shout that he could potentially make the World Cup squad because if you look at Calvin Lewin missing, Bamford being injured, Tammy Abraham, if he doesn't hit forward, if he picks up an injury, the next best striker England have after Kane probably looking at Ivan Tony. There isn't really many strikers around. So that, on top of the fact that I think Everton are absolutely awful, uh, like genuinely, I was watching them this weekend uh, and they were atrocious, like absolutely atrocious. I mean, apart from Anthony Gordon, I can't see a positive light in their team. Uh, he's the only positive thing that they have going for them. Uh, and I really, really worry for them, uh, especially with Frank Lampard, who I think, doesn't have a clue what he's doing in the transfer market. He's just literally signed Burnley players. Uh, <laughs> he's signed Conor Cody, stuck with his back three. I don't know. I don't actually know what Everton's plan is going forward. I think the owners have put the club up for sale, uh, and I really worry for them. So yeah, I, I definitely back a Brentford win. Uh, and yeah, in unison with you, I'll go. To, I'll, I'll back a two 0 Okay. Okay. We started quite similarly. Let, let's. Let's see if we can get some contention here with Brighton versus Leeds. Because for me, this is low-key one of the games that I'm really looking forward to um, in, in this weekend. And maybe people might call me a hipster football fan. But <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying these like midfield, uh, these mid-table teams with really good midfields. I'm, I'm yeah. loving I'm loving the fact that um, Brighton have a midfield, even after losing Basuma, that could... Definitely start for, for example, Liverpool. We've seen Liverpool's midfield this season. And don't get me started on Liverpool. Who would you take? Who would you take for Brighton's midfield for Liverpool? Lalana. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you go Casado. for? Casado. Bring Casado. Yeah. Bring Casado. What, what, what about uh, Alexis McAllister? Um, I'll take him, but my worry is Klopp would probably favour Elliot over him. Yeah. It, it's just Klopp seems to love him. So that would be my only problem for. For, for for Alex, um, but I I like him. I like Brighton, man. They're they're a good team. They're a good um, team, aren't they? They're and, Graham Potter is amazing. Yeah, they're a good football team. And on the other side, we've got a good soccer team. Uh, Jesse Marcy and Steve <laughs> I knew that was coming. Going. I knew that was coming. One hundred percent. Yeah, they have. 
he's what, done really well, hasn't he? What are your thoughts on, on this game? And I guess maybe you can expand a bit on Jesse Marsh doing well. They were energetic against Chelsea. Look, for me, I thought Chelsea started the game the better team. And, and I'll get to the reasons of why um, Chelsea, uh, you know, uh, my reasons for concerns for Chelsea when we get to them. But uh, Leeds showed energy. They showed willing runners. And those are the characteristics that they're going to need if they're going to be playing against this Brighton team that is probably one of the best coach teams in the Premier League, in my opinion. They might not have the talent of some of the bigger teams, but coach for coach, these guys are punching, you know, pound for pound. I think they're punching well above their weight. How do you see this game going? As I said, my low-key game of the weekend. Uh, I completely agree with you. I think that uh, it'll be a great watch, uh, partly because I think Leeds have gone back to that Bielsa method of high press. Last year at the tail end, when Jesse Marsh came in, they sort of dropped off and were just trying to hang on to games. But having watched them this season, uh, he's brought that press back. And I think what they've done is they've got rid of Calvin Phillips and Rafinha, who they depended on so much. And they have a much more well-rounded team with young players, uh, albeit all American football players. Uh, <laughs> they're surrounded by it. You've got uh, Jesse Marsh, a.k.a. the new modern-day Bruce Arena, <laughs> uh, he's literally orchestrated. Uh, he's even sitting on the touchline like Bielsa as well. And they, it, they remind me of the Leeds that first came into the Premier League and they started off against Liverpool in that first game. Uh, and they, they, they pressed the hell out of Liverpool. So uh, it's really refreshing to watch. I think Rodrigo is revitalised. Uh, so yeah, Leeds have definitely been playing well. However, Brighton, I mean, they're outstanding. Like genuinely, they've lost... They're two best players in Basuba and Cucurella, uh, and they haven't even felt it. And the, the the way that they play football, they have most of the possession in most of the games that they play. Uh, outside of maybe the top, I'd say, four teams, not even the top six teams, Brighton generally have the ball the most. Uh, they move the ball about well, and they haven't got any superstars in their team. Uh, it's just a team that plays well and is managed well. So uh, the way that I see it going is I see a home win, uh, the reason for that is because I think Brighton will be far too good for Leeds uh, at the end of it. I think Leeds, after that performance against Chelsea, that they sort of peaked. Uh, and I don't feel they'll be able to match that away uh, at the Amex. So, yeah, I'll go with Brighton. Uh, and I will say, I'd say 1-0 Brighton. 1-0 Brighton win. Now, the thing for me, all this Brighton love, if they can do me just one favour this season, just just to make me really happy this season, Please get someone else to start other than Danny Welbeck. We can't be in 2022-23 with Danny Welbeck leading the line, mate. Come on. Man like Welbs has been doing amazing. And it's not even because he's played for Arsenal. He's actually played really, really well. Uh, I was looking at his running stats. It's endless. He's actually doing... He's putting in high energy into his games. And it's like he's rejuvenated. I mean, he's been given a new contract. So, And I I think he's better than Malpe. Uh, He's on his way out. So... Yeah, I mean, if Brian actually had a striker, could you imagine how good they'd actually be? Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I always love Welbeck for that goal he scored against Leicester when we were about to win the league. Uh, yeah, <laughs> good old Welbs, good old Welbs. Um, yeah, look, for me, uh, I, I, um, I, I want a two-two draw, um, because I think that would make for quite an exciting game. Yeah. Um, so selfishly, I'm going to go with my heart here opposed to, to my head and, and, and any sort of 
true analysis in that sense. I'm going to go 2-2 because this is the game that I want to really watch this weekend. Um, and, and, and I want it to be a, a full-on, high entertaining game, uh, full of energy, full of meaty tackles in midfield. Um, but let's move on to the team that did suffer at the hands of Leeds last time out. It's Chelsea. They'll be going up against Leicester. Um, is, can we call this the Brendan Rodgers derby? We know Brendan Rodgers was a coach at Chelsea in the year set up under Jose The Fafana derby. Let's go with the Fafana derby. Oh, of course. I think that suits it better. Yeah, definitely. The Fafana derby. It'll be interesting to see if he does start this game um, or, or if he sits it out. Yeah. But as I was alluding to when we were discussing Leeds, I thought, to be fair to Chelsea, they started the game well. And similar to the Spurs game, they're really good at playing well. I, I don't have an issue with them from defense going forward. My issue is that they don't have that lethal whatever, if it's one player or a couple of players up front that can kill games off. So they're going to keep teams in a lot of games that shouldn't be in those games. Like, I go back to that, that Spurs game. Spurs had no right to be in that game as really? long as they were. But Chelsea just couldn't finish them off. And the Chelsea goals came from defenders, if I'm not mistaken. So the worry for me is in this game against Leicester, they're going to allow Leicester, like, are they going to allow Leicester to hang on way longer than they need to? Because for me, Leicester are one of those red flag teams, no momentum. The Brodge is is one of those managers that are, their, their seat is hot, man. Like, this is this is thermonuclear stuff right here. Like, he's... I would be surprised if he stays much longer. And if people want to look at what fixtures are coming up for Leicester down the road, um, maybe he might stay a bit longer so that he gets the brunt of those fixtures and then they bring in a manager after that. But I'm worried for the Brodge. Um, I'm worried for them in terms of what players could leave. You mentioned Fofana, mm -hmm. Tielemans, obviously Arsenal have been flirting around him. Um, and that look that you just gave me, we'll, we'll move on. Um, but... <laughs> but I um, <laughs> but um yeah so although Chelsea struggle to finish teams off with the amount of goals that Leicester are conceding at the moment I cannot see anything other than like a Chelsea 3-0 win I know Chelsea don't score goals but I'm looking at that Leicester defense man and it looks absolutely bereft of any confidence and I think the Chelsea defense is strong enough. Obviously, Koulibaly is not going to be there. So that, that, that might be something that swings things around. Is, is that maybe something that comes into your thought process when you're looking at, at this game? I think, uh, personally, I think Koulibaly is actually rubbish. Uh, I was watching him and I think that he's a glorified Maguire. Genuinely speaking, I feel like the, the Rudiger loss is massive. Koulibaly cannot play with the ball. Uh, he's slow. And... That Aronson for Leeds gave him a right good seeing to. Uh, and I genuinely think that Chelsea are on the downfall. I really feel like they've lost their way completely. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking here. If you look at their bench that they had against Leeds, they had Carney, Chukawa, Benka. They had Chilwell, Hudson Adoy, Ziyech, Pulisic. Out of those players, Ziyech is apparently going to be leaving. Pulisic as well. Hudson Adoy too. Uh, Carney came from Aston Villa. Ben Chilwell uh, is a left wing back, and that's all they had going forward to replace. And 
you think about it and you look at their team, they've got Havertz and Sterling up front, who are not exactly known for taking their chances, uh, unless in Champions League finals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they had Ruben Loftus Cheek as a right wing back. They've got Conor Gallagher in there. He's had made his Chelsea debut finally. I genuinely don't know where Chelsea have gone this chance window. I think Todd Bowley is literally just going around, whipping out his checkbook uh, with the machismo, just trying to act like a big shot, thinking he can just sign whoever he wants. I don't think he's got a clue what he's doing. He's playing football manager. Uh, so despite Leicester, who I agree with, who are massively, massively on the back foot, I feel I'm genuinely concerned for them. I mean, another group of owners that have, are now willing to sell uh, and with the unrest there, but I, I just don't feel like Chelsea have the ability to put them to the sword. I feel like Leicester have good attacking players, so I was going to go with uh, a 1-1 here. I genuinely feel like Leicester will get something out of the game. I feel like Brendan has still got a bit of fight left in him, uh, and before he bails, like he did on Celtic, I feel like he may get some points here at the bridge. I'm glad that we're starting to get a bit of friction here, because on, on our previous podcast, Khaled, we, we disagreed on a few things. Um, and I, I think maybe that's what the suits upstairs were, were hoping for when, when they signed you this season. Uh, and we've shocked them at the beginning here with our harmony, <laughs> with our, with our joint scores. Um, so, so I think we're getting to a place yeah. where, where maybe, maybe not all is rosy, uh, between myself and you. Wait till we start talking about Liverpool, then we're going to get some real friction here. Uh, so yeah, no, I think the, the first few fixtures were, were fairly obvious. I think those sort of fixtures called themselves. I think if I were trying to disagree with those points, I feel like I wouldn't be true to myself, but definitely this game here, I feel like Leicester will definitely get something at the bridge. I'm not convinced with Chelsea at all. Interesting stuff. One to look out for definitely for our listeners. But you mentioned uh, a certain team and, and they come up. Can we just skip this, this fixture? Um, I say it's Liverpool versus Bournemouth is next on our run sheet. Do, do we need to do this one? I mean, I feel like we should do this one purely because I feel like it's a guaranteed win for Liverpool, but I feel like it's a perfect opportunity for us to discuss what happened, uh, what's happened so far this season and especially against Man United. I mean, having looked at Liverpool and having them sort of been the benchmark alongside City for like, I would say, what, the last five years? Would that be yeah. fair? Yeah. And... My personal opinion, first and foremost, is Sadio Mane is a huge loss to yourselves. Huge loss. Especially because you've, really, you've replaced him uh, with Darwin Nunes, who I am not a fan of at all. I feel like he doesn't have the technical ability to play in a side like Liverpool. He's a bit of... How would you describe him? He's a bit... He's a bit limmy. He's got his limbs everywhere. Like, he's a bit... He's unorthodox. He's a bit hit and miss. He causes mayhem, but I just generally don't feel like he's the type of player that Liverpool should have targeted for £80 million. And I think that Joachim Anderson's handling of him and obviously getting him sent off, or uh, that sort of showed that he is quite naive and quite raw still. Uh, and as a result of you putting that out there in, you haven't improved the rest of your team. Your midfield, I mean, you're still playing James Milner, for goodness sake. Like, it just says it all. You're playing James Milner uh, in midfield alongside Jordan Henderson, Captain Marvel. I know you'll like that comment. Uh, uh, and then Harvey Elliott, a.k.a. Wannabe Bex. Uh, it's just crazy. Uh, and then you've got the 
Croc Navigator on the bench, the Croc Alex Oxley Chamberlain. I mean, if we go and look at your bench yesterday, I mean, I was shocked. You guys have on your bench yesterday, Harvey Davis, haven't got a clue. Adrian, we all know about him. Nathaniel Phillips after his soul start against <laughs> Palace. Uh, you got, what do you guys call him? The, the Greek Scouser, Sibikas. Uh, Seth Vandenberg, he seems like he's been there for like 20 years and has a still hasn't played. Uh, a guy called Stefan Bagsetic, who I've never heard of. Uh, Fabio Carvalho, who actually came on and did all right. Bobby Clark, not a clue. Uh, poor man Anthony Gordon, he looks like, going by his picture. And then you've got Fabinho. Uh, and if you compare that to Man U, who had Van der Beek, Ronaldo, Martial, Fred, Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, Van der Saka, it's quite telling. Uh, you guys have been doing a miracle with the team that you have had for the last X amount of years. Uh, and your squad has been massively weakened by losing Mane. Uh, and I don't feel like you've adequately replaced him or improved with the rest of the squad. And the absences of Thiago uh, is quite telling. Yeah, it, it, it's certainly a team that has started to, 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 to be made in the image of Thiago. And the danger with that is Thiago plays 28 games a season. And the thing is, Liverpool knew that before they signed Thiago. The, the injury record was there, public knowledge for all to see. Thiago's giving you 28 games, mate. So if you're going to center your team around Thiago, you better have a backup that plays like Thiago for the inevitable time when Thiago doesn't play. Now, the problem for me with Liverpool is they seem to think the backup for Thiago is Naby Keita, who also plays 28 <laughs> games a season. And... I don't think injuries work in the way that like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll hand you the baton for three weeks. You be injured for three weeks and then I'll take <laughs> the injury for three. No, these guys get injured at the same time and it's expected. So for me, it's a self-inflicted injury with regards to not just midfield, but we've seen this in the past with Liverpool. And I don't know at this point if it's a Jurgen Klopp problem, if it's an FSG problem, but they always leave the team or some areas of the, you know, some departments of the team yeah. a little bit short. We saw that season with the center back crisis where it was, just, they had yeah. three senior center backs, two of which yeah. were injury prone. And then the third was Van Dyke. And then obviously the Van Dyke injury, people say, oh, well, you couldn't see that one coming or whatever. But injuries do happen in football. And your other two center backs, Matip and Gomez, were injury prone in any case. So you were going to be missing those two anyway. So that was an issue. They didn't sign anyone. And remember, that's a season after winning a Champions League. Um, you've got all the money in the world. You would think that this is the time when you, you know, evolve the team. They didn't do it then. Then you look at last season and it took a Luis Diaz January signing. Because remember, Liverpool didn't play too, yeah. too, too hot. It took a, a, a Luis Diaz coming in. And the only reason Liverpool signed Luis Diaz in January was they, wanted, they were meant to sign him this off-season, this summer. Yep. But because Spurs went in and Liverpool realized, oh, we can actually get him now, that's the only reason they got. Otherwise, they were going to wait. If Spurs hadn't gone in, you know, they, wouldn't, they actually did Liverpool the favor by going in because Liverpool would have happily waited until the summer. So again, last season, they left their front line short and only got pushed to, to fixing it after Spurs were about to get the player that they had kind of agreed a deal with Porto yeah. for. Um, this season, before the season even started, from last season, 
I've been complaining about Henderson starting big games as 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 the right sided midfielder. For me, I don't see how Henderson starts in any of the other big team midfielders. I don't see him starting. If 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 I'm Brighton, I'm not starting Henderson. I'm if I'm Wolves, no way I'm starting Henderson. Have you seen Wolves' midfield? We're gonna get to it in a bit. But like, it's not just the big teams. There are teams on you know in 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 the Premier League that aren't. European caliber team, so to speak, or well, at least have ambitions to be, but they wouldn't start Jordan Henderson there. And obviously, the argument from Liverpool fans is, "Oh, look what he's done for us in the past." Uh, look, that's not how football works for me. And I, I know what Henderson's done in the past. I acknowledge what he's done. No one can ever take it away from him. But if you are telling me in twenty two, twenty three season, going into the season, that you're going to be challenging Man City and the standards they've set. Remember, Man City have said you need to get ninety points in this league just to enter the conversation, yeah. not not even to win a league title, and not even Fergie and Wenger's and stuff were, were, were doing ninety point seasons. That's the standard that's been set. You need to get ninety points just to enter the conversation. So if you are not doing everything you can to improve your team at all points and, and opportunities when you get them. I think it's self-inflicted. So the injuries that Liverpool have in midfield at the moment, all of the players that are injured at the moment, Cater, Ox, Thiago, Curtis Jones, all players that have history of injuries um, yep. in their past. So you, that's self-inflicted. I have no sympathy for Liverpool with those injuries. You look at their defence, Matip is injured. Again, a player that always gets injured. I have no sympathy there. Um, um, Jota. Jota is injured. He, he has niggles. Ever since he's come to Liverpool, he's had yeah. niggles. So you can't you can't complain about those players being injured when you can foresee that and you should have planned um, in advance. So for me, it's self inflicted. I don't feel sorry for 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 Liverpool. But do you think that Klopp kind of likes it this way in a sick, twisted way? He likes being the underdog. He I don't uh, think he wants that. I don't think he yeah. wants that heat of if we give him everything that he wants. Like and he doesn't deliver, you know what happens. Whereas if if if, yeah. if we don't give him everything he wants and he does deliver, he's he's you know in goat territory for some people. Um, and the last thing I'll say on on this is the reason hasn't been made public why Michael Edwards left Liverpool. Okay, yeah. for me it's and I keep saying but either it's Klopp or either it's FSG because I'm not sure who has the true power there because. Don't listen to Klopp in, 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 in the press. He lies all the time, right? Um, he does. Michael Edwards, I think, got frustrated with the amount of players and the, the, the recruitment team that he set up. He's got flipping people that worked at NASA in that recruitment team, okay? Yeah. And the stuff that they do there is world-leading in, in football in terms of their, their analysis and data. He's bringing all these players to the likes of Klopp and FSG or whoever is in charge and saying, let's get him, let's get him, let's get him. And he keeps being turned down and they keep saying, no, we're fine. Or no, that's too expensive. Or no, we can't. If I'm him, I'm thinking, screw this. I, I, I can't stand. That's my theory on why he left. And and obviously, um, you know, but yeah, that, that that's a, a rant maybe that went on a bit too long. No, no, no. It no. had to be said. I think that you said some really valid points. I mean, the first question that I was shouting out my head when you were speaking were, do you agree about Darwin Nunez? Do you not feel like that was more reactionary to Liverpool, to Man City rather signing Haaland and you thinking, let's get a big number nine in to match that? 
Do you not feel like that money would have been more adequately spent improving the rest of your team? I think that Darwin Nunes and Chiumeni was the plan, right? Chiumeni obviously ends up at Real Madrid. And again, that's another issue. How do you go from clearly we need Chiumeni, so clearly we acknowledge we have a problem here, to then not signing anyone at all? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. But the Darwin Nunes thing for me is his player profile is the type of player profile Klopp likes to work with. Raw players that are entering the years when they need to start developing their consistency that are going to be playing in a team that's going to create a lot of chances for them. So a lot of uh, Nunes' goals early on in his Liverpool career are going to be you know, tap-ins and he's just over-touched the ball a little bit. The defense, the goalkeeper comes towards him and he taps it to the side of the net. Like, it's not going to be clean. And and have you seen, have have Liverpool signed a forward? And I always get in trouble for saying this because you look at the numbers of goals that Salah scores. But to me, Salah is not an elite, technique-wise, is not an elite finisher. Okay, I think he's really That's good. That's a bold statement. It's, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing bold statements here. I think he's really good at getting into goal-scoring situations. As a striker, I know he's not a striker, but he pretty much plays as the forward for Liverpool in that sense. You are, you've either got that really good technique in your finishing or you're really good at getting into goal-scoring position. Look at, he reminds me of like Thomas Muller. Somehow Thomas Muller is always in the right spot at the right time. Salah is able to get himself with his pace, with his t- um, you know dribbling ability, and all that. He gets himself into really good positions. But clean finish for clean finish, he's not he's not in my top five in world football. Uh, and and that has nothing to do with me saying he's not a goal scorer. I think he is a goal scorer. I just don't think his technique is up to scratch of the technically gifted ball strikers out there in the world. And Liverpool haven't had a player with that level of technique of finishing. For me, since, you know, the likes of Suarez left. Like, Liverpool signed these players. The Salas, the Nunes, yeah. the, the Jota's got good technique. Um, the Mane's Mane doesn't have good technique in finish. Like, he's always, he always falls over when he shoots. I like, agree you know, with Mane. Like I, but the Salah one, uh, for me, I, I, I get the point that you're saying. I do see it. Sometimes he does scuff his finishes. He does hit the outside of his foot far more often than he should. But... It's Mohamed Salah. If yeah. anyone has him in Fantasy Premier League, you guys must agree with me right now. The guy is somehow, some way, the ball always end up in the back of the net. There must be some technical ability for him to be able to do that. Yeah, but remember, it's all relative. It's like saying when we say like Nat Phillips is, isn't good, we're not saying like he can't play football because obviously he's a professional yeah. footballer. But we're saying to the standards of this team. I'm saying to the standard of world class finishers. I'm not putting Salah in my top five. So, who, so, so tell me, who's the top? Who's who would you say is number one or number in the top three? Give me a random player that you would say is better than random Salah. Random player, better, better finisher. Obviously, Benzema's in there. Yeah, we've that's got, what came to my head. Yeah, Benzema. We've got. I think Bappe is a better finisher than than Salah. I, but Bappe shinned that goal. Did you see that PSG half? half sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. That was a shit. Did you see? He yeah, shinned it. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, didn't yeah. mean that. I wouldn't want to say that. It's not to say that. Um, Every shot that they take isn't like Benzema's skin is shin stuff before. I think yeah. Ronaldo's a better finisher than Salah. Um, Tell me I a think... right winger, right forward or right winger that is a better finisher than Salah. I, you're, there's not many people. I don't think there is anyone. I think he's the best. 
Okay. Right, right winger. There isn't anyone, is there? On the right. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Let me let me think about it and get back yeah, to you. Because I, I put him in the for, I'm, I'm putting it in the forwards categories. So right I go, go I don't know right, if Messi I don't know if Messi still plays on the right. Messi um, barely scores anymore. Honestly think oh. I think I think I think I feel like you've been harsh to Sana and I don't know if it's because you're upset because you gave a big contract to a thirty year old and I know that Klopp likes giving big contracts to 30-year-olds, another Jordan Henderson being in question. And I know that's against everything that you believe in. And like I said, I, I do feel though Salah is a world-class finisher, uh, and especially from his position. But have a think on it and get, let me know. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll let you know. But I, I, did, I, do, I did agree with the Salah con. I wanted Salah to be signed because for me, Salah is one of those players that can play into his 30s. We've seen the discipline he has with regards to his fitness and 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 his nutrition. Yeah. But let's move on because the, the podcast okay. isn't a Liverpool podcast. I'm, we need to I'm do sure a separate we'll, Liverpool one. We, we will do, do a separate one. Liverpool one. We will discuss this in depth. But um, yeah, we we do need to move on. So anyway, score prediction. <laughs> Poor Bournemouth fans are sitting here listening to this. Uh, we've not mentioned them this game. Um, Whatever you got, say about I've, 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 I've gone two one to Liverpool. I don't trust Liverpool to keep clean sheets these days. Um, yeah. Scoreline for you. Uh, 5-0. 5-0 to Liverpool. Okay. You are going to smash them. Absolutely smash them. You're going to take out all the frustrations on poor old Dominic Solanke coming back to Anfield <laughs> to get absolutely <laughs> smashed and get two touches of the ball. But the the danger with something like that is then you know all the super fans are going to turn around and say, what problems? We don't need to address any problems. You, you know that's going to be it's the problem. But anyway... Like Man U right now, how every Man U fan is feeling at the moment. Yeah, exactly. But let, let's um, let's head to an ad break after that rant session that I've just done. I need time to just, you know, <laughs> sip some water and, and, and de-stress. And then we will be right back talking about Arsenal's momentum. And we are back, Khaled. Um, now, we had that rant on Liverpool. It wasn't planned. Um, we were just here to discuss Punk, the... Yeah, we yeah. were just meant to discuss the fixture and move on, and you got me all heated uh, with regards to the situation at Liverpool. But let's move on to the situation at Arsenal. Obviously, in terms of league table, two teams at very different areas of the league table. Um, we we started off talking about the momentum that they've got, and and you know they've started the season a lot better than they started last season. I wanted to check with you. Have, have you been able to identify the difference between Arsenal this season and last season um, or, or anything that you think is leading towards this sort of feel-good um, Arsenal side that's not just feel-good but also delivering on the pitch? Yeah. Uh, genuinely, I feel it's down to... I think Mikel Arteta deserves great credit. Uh, I feel like he's got rid of the toxicity that was in our club, uh, as you can see from the documentaries. He's got the personnel he wants, and we now, I think the key component is Gabriel Jesus, uh, or Jesus. Uh, we now have a forward player that plays in the way that Arteta wants. Uh, every Arsenal fan will tell you that Lacazette was just not doing anything. He was just literally sticking his bum out, uh, holding up the ball, linking up play well, but not getting in the box. There was no movement, uh, and I feel like the major change for us uh is Gabriel Jesus obviously leading the line. I mean, I don't know if you saw the Bournemouth game, but Bournemouth players were bouncing off of him. Uh, he is everywhere. He is literally running. He's, he's killing himself for the team. He's looked like a rejuvenated player. Uh, and I'm just 
extremely grateful that we have him uh, because I feel like what he's done is added a different dimension. He's increased our quality of our actual team uh, and it's raising the level of the rest of the players. Uh, alongside him, I think William uh, Saliba has been absolutely sensational and I feel like he's added a composure at the back. Uh, so generally through our core of our team, we've got Partey finally fit uh, and not in prison, thankfully. Uh, we've got Saliba at the back and we've got Jesus up front. And I feel like that core, that spine of the team, uh, alongside having no divas in our squad anymore, has enabled us to basically play the way that Mikel Arteta wants. Uh, and yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm, you can't see me right now, but I'm beaming from ear to ear because we're playing really, really well. Uh, and we now have an expectation that when we play a team, we can actually win, which Arsenal fans haven't felt in a very long time. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. good to see, um, as you mentioned, especially to contrast it with um, the All or Nothing documentary that came I think it came out at the perfect time because yeah. we, we've got to see, you know, the struggles that Arsenal had, the, the things that Arteta was trying For me, this was a great PR move for Arsenal to do All or Nothing for Arteta because I, I fell more and more in love with him the more I watched the documentary. He seemed, I, I, I get what he's trying to do at Arsenal. Last season, from the outside looking in, you know, the whole trust the process and everything, you can laugh at it and stuff, but yeah. he, he's, he's, he's living, you know, the, 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 the project. He's living the process. He's showing the players, you know, even just passing in training, players missing passing training and not caring, and him stepping up and saying, you've got to care about that pass. It starts in, the, in training. Yeah. And, you know, how you train is how you're going to play on the pitch. You know, stuff like that, um, I thought has been really impressive. The thing for me with Arsenal is, um, and as you mentioned with Jesus, obviously in that he's got that dog in him uh, category. <laughs> he's in that basket. But like the thing for me with Arsenal is this season, one, obviously they believe in Arteta. And and a big part of that is that clear out of the Divas. Because yeah. what's Arteta going to say to Aubameyang? Aubameyang has been there and done it. You know what I mean? Arteta, Arteta can't say anything to Aubameyang in my opinion, that's kind of the relationship that I got between them. Whereas Arteta can go to Saka and say, mate, you've not done anything yet in your career. Obviously, you've got the potential and everything, but I've done stuff, you know, in my... You know what I mean? There's a different yeah, no, conversation spot on. Spot that's on. happening there. Um, and I think... So that belief in Arteta from the team, I think everyone in the team believes in what Arteta's trying to do. And then also the hunger from the Arsenal player. I don't know if it came in with the likes of the Jesuses coming in, but there's a hunger that I've not seen from Arsenal in a good while where they're fighting for every ball. They're, 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 they're trying to keep the standards up. Even when they're winning, um, you know, they're pushing to go get that third, that fourth, that fifth goal. And even when they concede, how, how often did Arsenal concede and then soon after two, three, four goals go in? They concede yeah. and then they go score again. It's okay. We conceded. Let's, let's dust ourselves off. Let's push again. So it, for me, it's been... A revelation. I like having clubs, um, you know, come through that process of we were at the brink of firing Arteta to look look at us now, and and we'll see if they're able to continue it um, going into the rest of the season. But let's move on to Manchester City versus Crystal Palace. Obviously, Arteta coming from that Pep Guardiola tree of coaching, um, we've seen the standards that he set, and as we said, we we're seeing Arteta kind of doing the same thing in in trying to set standards at Arsenal. But it was a tricky day out last time for 
Manchester City. They came unstuck against a Newcastle side that was really game. Um, obviously at St. James's Park as well, which yep. I think just set the scene really, really well for that game. Now, they're facing a Crystal Palace side who I think are, and, and last season I mentioned that they're a really fun side to watch. I think they're going to be a fun side to watch again this season. Um, I don't think there's been an uh, unofficial team of the, the podcast this season yet. Um, I think we're waiting for the for for the transfer window to close and there will be a discussion on that. The suits upstairs hate it because they, they, they you know, um, they, they, they never make it official. It's always, you know, I'm obliged legally to always mention it's an unofficial team. Um, we had, uh, we had Crystal Palace two seasons ago. Maybe I was a season early because then Vieira came in, but I, I anyway, uh, then last season, obviously we, we had to go with Norwich. Uh, it was a feel good thing to do we thought so we'll see what happens um, this coming season but Khaled, uh, Crystal Palace suits the style of play that Newcastle used against Manchester City I think if you put Eze in the St. Maximan role and you put um, Zaha in the Wilson role or even in the Almiron role but I think the key for Crystal Palace is going to be getting the ball to Eze for him to drive at that left hand, right hand side of, of um, Manchester City, and then have Zaha in and around there to finish things off for them. How do you see this game going? They were like Kobe and Shaq against Liverpool. Like <laughs> yeah. genuinely, Eze, Eze is a baller, man. Like genuinely, he was floating at Anfield. Uh, and I was super impressed. I mean, him and Wilf. Wilf is a beast. I think Wilf is one of those players that would always have a chip on his shoulder because he never truly gets the flowers that he feels like he deserves. And he probably doesn't deserve it because he, he seems like he's got a massive ego. But there's no denying the guy has serious ability. And I think him and Eze together, they're like Kobe and Shaq. I mean, they could really do some damage to Man City. The way that they played against Anfield, they've got a resolute defence. If they can hold it up, get the ball into Eze, and if he can play the through balls, I mean, Will started down the middle these last two games and it's been an absolute re- revelation. I mean, I'm not biased at all. Despite him being in my fantasy football team and my fantasy draft team, uh, he's actually been balling out. And I really, really feel like, I mean, we're talking long shot here. This is Man City. Despite Crystal Palace having gone to the Etihad last year, 1-2-0, and I think the year before, they got a point. No, 2020, they got a point at the Etihad. So they have, they're like a bogey team for Man City. Uh, I genuinely feel like they could do some damage. I mean, the game's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be a 5-0 City tumpage, <laughs> or <clears throat> it's going to be a sticky game whereby which Crystal Palace make a game of it. There's some needle there because Vieira obviously used to be hired by the uh, Man City brass uh, and there were always talks of him being the next in line if Pep ever left, and he was sort of, what, shipped out, shipped out to Nice, yeah, loaned, loaned out, exactly, to Nice, and now he's sort of out of that group. So I think we'll have like a point to prove. Uh, a lot of it's going to depend on luck if Crystal Palace are going to get something. Uh, I feel like you're going to tend to go with Crystal Palace to be different. So I will go, despite everything that I'm saying, I'm probably going to go with a City 3 1. The sole goal coming from, let's just say, do you know what? Let's say Wolf, let's back our boy. Uh, I'll say Wolf will get a single goal, uh, but City will come good in the end. And I think Haaland, uh, he hasn't, he scored last game, but he hasn't really played well. 
uh, in the last few games. So I feel like a Foden assist to Haaland because Foden's been extremely greedy and not passed to him in the last few games. So I'll, I'll go with that. 3-1. I had a 2-1 City win. Uh, I went with my head here. I didn't go with my heart. Um, and, and, and it's because, you know, a, a few of the games earlier on, I did go with my heart with some of those yeah. decisions. I thought I needed to go with my head in this one. Look, um, as you mentioned, all those reasons for possibilities why Crystal Palace could do something in this game. Um, but I think just the lethal ability of Haaland is going to be the difference in this game. And I say it because Nunes had chances against Crystal Palace. And for the reasons you've mentioned, yeah. he didn't finish them off. Haaland is finishing those chances off. Crystal yeah. Palace are still giving away a lot of chances. I mean, you look at the goal that uh, Aston Villa scored on the weekend. Yeah. Just imagine that's Haaland running on the break on that. Like they, they're done. They're done yeah. for with, with situations. I like feel that. like they're going to be they're going to they're going to set up in a low block in a really yeah. low block. So I think they're going to try and reduce the space in between. But West Ham tried to do that. Haaland's acceleration is ridiculous. It's, it's insane. I saw it against Newcastle as well when he went through one and one. He didn't score, but his acceleration is actually ridiculous for a, a, a player of his size. Uh, so it will be interesting. I feel a lot of it's going to get down to how quickly City score the first goal. I yeah. feel like if they get the first goal, it won't be Newcastle. City will have a route. Uh, I think the longer the game stays nil-nil, uh, similarly to Liverpool and uh, Crystal Palace, because they got through the first 20 minutes. And after that, they sort of were able to get on the foot on the ball and play the ball through. So I think it's all dependent on when that first goal comes. But that will be a good game to watch. Like I, I think I was telling you off there, I hate watching Man City play. They're just boring as hell. They'll put anyone to sleep. They're, they're tiki-taka... The fans are not even, the fans are quiet. It's just an awful experience. However, there's a few games in the season where, by which some teams will go at them. And I think Crystal Palace will go at them. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that'll be good entertainment. And, and just, just to let you know, you know, I love Eze. I love Zaha, but my shout and my favorite player at Crystal Palace is Olisi. I've said Olisi is going to be leading the race for young player of the year this season. He started off the season injured which hasn't helped my cause, but he's starting to get, you know, those minutes off the bench. Just wait until they add Olisi into that team. You thought That's you had Shaq and Kobe. Wait until you add Olisi in Don't there as well. Don't forget Mateta with that celebration. Have you seen <laughs> he's kicking a fan. He's doing a canton. I guarantee you, he hasn't got the ability to do that as well. He hasn't got a facility, big man. Again, <laughs> I'm telling you, he's kicking someone in the head. Like, he literally said, I think he scored two goals since he said he was going to do that as a celebration. Like, uh, but yeah, genuinely... I, I like Crystal Palace. I think they're a good team. I've got a soft spot because it's Vieira, uh, but I think they're a good team. I definitely uh, would vouch for Elise. I think he's another baller as well. Okay. Well, in contention for the Pep replacement is Mikel Arteta. And I mentioned, don't don't tell Arteta that Zaha, I mean, that Vieira is ahead of him in that pecking order. We know Arteta is, is waiting for that job. Um, <laughs> but he, he takes Arsenal back to the Emirates uh, to probably a hero's welcome when they entertain Fulham in a London derby. Khaled, first and foremost, are you going to the game and how do you see this game going? Yes, I will be going to the game uh, with my sister, Shimi. We're very excited to be going because I was on holiday, so I, I missed the first game uh, at the Emirates against Leicester, which was a good game. So this will be my first home game this year uh, and I'm buzzing. Uh, and I think that we're going to absolutely route them. And I'm not just saying that. Fulham have had a great start to the season. Correa, Mitrovic are absolutely balling. Uh, but I feel like 
it's like a homecoming for Arsenal after an away game. We've just got the win. We're coming home. Uh, it's a 5.30 kickoff. I feel like the fans are ready. We're going to get behind the team. Everyone's been watching the All or Nothing documentary. It's going to be a really, really good atmosphere. And I feel like if we perform, I would say, to like 80% of the level that we did against Bournemouth, I feel like we're going to absolutely route Fulham. I feel like this will be their welcome to the Premier League. Uh, don't forget you get relegated every season. Uh, and it's going to be an absolute route. That's not even me being biased. I'm just going purely on the basis of we're top of the table. I had to get that in there. I've waited like an hour and ten minutes to get that in. So, yeah, we're top of the table. We're going to perform like that. Uh, and I feel sorry for Fulham this weekend because I really feel like they're going to be in a cauldron because the Arsenal fans, having watched the documentary, are going to be G'd up. So is, is, is Jesus getting his hat-trick this week? What uh, scoreline are you going for here? Uh, I hope he scores. I mean, Jesus is that player that doesn't seem to really care whether he scores or not. I feel like he'll definitely have goal contributions. I hope he'll score. Uh, but I'm hoping Odegaard continues his goal scoring form. Uh, I got rid of him in fantasy football this week and replaced him for Martinelli because I was a little bit worried because he wasn't shooting and I got burnt for it. So I'm back in Odegaard. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Odegaard. So I'm, I'm hoping he will come through with some goals, but also Saka as well. I feel like Saka was the main man last year. This year, he's been overshadowed a little bit, so I'm, I'm hoping he comes back in some form and gets a goal for us. Interesting stuff. Yeah, it, it almost seems like Saka's kind of the forgotten man, which is a good thing. Like, if yeah. Saka is the forgotten man in a team, yeah, right. it means you're doing well. Um, and it's I think it's a good thing that the pressure is not off of him to be the main man. He's still so young, man. Let the guy grow. Let him, you know, let, let, let Jesus carry that load and let Saka just grow and develop. You've got Martinelli on the other side. Let him grow and develop. Odegaard also not shy to, to be the main man. He's now yeah. the captain. I, I like that fact um, of the team. Uh, in terms of this game, I've gone with a 3-1 Arsenal win. Um, I think Mitrovic at the back post is a certainty, let's be honest, at this stage. Um, and Big Ben White is there. Big, Big ben, ben White, White is, is there. Yeah. He might and go Salva. to the other side. He might go to the other side. Yeah, no, I don't trust Zinchenko against, uh, against Mitrovic up in the air there. Yeah, um, play, it could happen. You never know with Arsenal. But, I mean, to be honest, with Saliba at the back, we've been, we've looked composed. I'm more scared about Ramsdale making a mistake. Uh, my <laughs> sister's picked up on it. He is making a lot more errors that aren't being punished, but they are there and they're, they're sneaking in. So that is a little bit of a concern. Yeah. So scoreline prediction for you? Uh, I will go with 4-0 to the Arsenal. 4-0 to Arsenal, an emphatic win that keeps them top of the table. I don't know if you want to say that again before we move on, but that would keep you top of the table. <laughs> Listen, long may it continue. I feel like Arsenal's good luck charm, and as long as I'm on this show every week, we will continue to be top of the table. <laughs> I mean, it's ours to lose from this point onwards now, uh, but no, genuinely speaking, mark my words, Fulham are getting routed this weekend. <laughs> Mark Marwes, you've you've heard it here. Well, let's move on to one of the other managers um, that I've lambasted this podcast, Stephen Gerrard. I've, I've I've mentioned him in the relegation zone of my of my manager's table, um, much to the chagrin, I guess, for some Liverpool fans that are you know have have already got Gerrard's uh, manager shirts lined up for for when he we know he's going to get the Liverpool job at some point in time, and it's going to be a mistake. It's going to be a mistake. They're going to pressure the fans are going to pressure the club into doing it. The club's going to cave and and put him in as manager, and it's going to be a mistake. But anyway, um, Aston Villa versus West Ham. Now, 
Last week, we had Man United versus Liverpool as the Red Flags derby. I think this is the Red Flags derby for this this weekend. Um, Aston Villa, a loss, a win and a loss. But that win came against Everton, a struggling Everton side. So how much can we take from that? Um, and then West Ham, three losses on the bounce. Um, I, I thought they were unlucky with that Nottingham Forest game. Um, you know, hit the post a few times, missed a penalty, uh, had a goal disallowed, all of the shenanigans that happened there. But they've not looked that good this season. Um, certainly not the, the physical, aggressive side that we saw last season. Who wins this game, Helen? Or, or are they just going to play to yeah. a stale nil-nil draw? So I can't hide my detest for Aston Villa. Like, genuinely speaking, I feel like Gerard. he's, abs- he's just... He's like a dinosaur. The way that he communicates himself to the media, unnecessarily aggressive. I mean, he took the captaincy of Mings. I feel like he handled that situation absolutely disgracefully. It was just one of those where, do you know what? I don't fancy you, so I'm going to give it to the old-fashioned, brooded midfield John McGinn, give him the captain's armband, uh, and basically publicly humiliate Mings. He's actually done pretty well for them. I mean, he's not the greatest player, but if you're an Aston Villa fan, you'd like Mings. He's one of those that he's one of your own. Uh, and then to bring him back in the team again, just literally a couple of days afterwards, I mean, it's embarrassing for Gerard the way he's treated players. And I feel like he needs to be careful because he could lose that dressing room really, really quickly because he's not, sh- he's not shy. He will come out in the media and he will slam players. And I don't feel like he has the credibility to be able to do that yet. He hasn't actually achieved anything as a manager. Uh, and genuinely speaking, I feel like the transfer business they've done uh, hasn't been great, and he's under massive pressure. I, I, he's my tip to be the first manager to be fired, uh, and for Liverpool fans, they need to stay well clear of him. Uh, I feel like he could really, really send you guys five, ten years back uh, if you were to hire him. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of the fixture itself, I think West Ham... They've, I mean, I think what Declan Rice said was not nice to hear, but for everyone other than a West Ham fan, he, he was spot on. They're not Man City. Uh, they have overachieved in the last few seasons, and I feel like they've got a bit stale. Uh, the Czech boys, Su, uh, Sufal and Suchek, uh, they sort of fizzled out. Uh, they have Fabianski, who's making a lot of mistakes. They have Ariola who they're not playing, who I recommend them to play. Uh, Declan Rice is their main man, but I feel like we're all missing a trick here and we're forgetting that Mark Noble, captain, legend, dad, son, <laughs> uh, has left with the West Ham and that's a massive impact on them. Uh, and obviously, there's no bubbles, there's not enough bubbles in the stadium anymore. I don't feel like the fans uh, have enough liquid and produce enough bubbles so that it's not coming onto the pitch so the players are not <laughs> behind, they know that the fans are not behind them. Uh, and genuinely speaking, though, all jokes aside, I feel like they've been overachieving for the last few years. David Moyes will always be David Moyes. Uh, he did this with Everton. He got him into the top four and then got knocked out in the Champions League qualifier against Villarreal. It's just David Moyes. I feel like West Ham fans should be happy with what they're achieving uh, and what they've achieved in the last few seasons. Uh, I do feel like they will maybe come out on top in this game. Uh, and the reason for that is, genuinely speaking, this is a battle of some of the worst teams in the Premier League. Not in terms of obviously how they performed in the last few years, but in terms of how they play football and what they do. Uh, and I feel like West Ham will grit this one out uh, to pile on the pressure to Gerrard. So I'm going to go with a 2-1 West Ham win. 2-1 West Ham win. They can finally get their campaign 
off to a start. Um, yeah, for me, as, as I mentioned, West Ham have looked a bit toothless. Um, not many players in there that you would put in there. He's got that dog in him uh, category, I think, for West Ham. And, and that's a problem for, for me, for teams that are mid-table-ish, looking you know to to aspire to get into that top six you need a bit of fight in you West Ham showed it last season I've not seen it this season uh, and it will be interesting to see if Moyes can get them out get that out of them Aston Villa I mean as you mentioned they, they've got a handbrake at the moment with Steven Gerrard as manager just simple things like Buendia on the bench instead of Coutinho at the moment Buendia is playing a lot better like on merit yeah. there's it's no true. reason for Buendia not to be in the team but, I mean, Coutinho, Gerard loves... When I tell you Gerard loves a player, Gerard loves Coutinho. He even gave him the, the, the David Blaine Little Magician nickname <laughs> at, at, when he was at Liverpool. Like, he, he loves Coutinho. So, I'm not surprised that Coutinho is playing as much as he is, you know, regardless of form. Um, but, yeah, this game, I think, could end up being a lot more end-to-end um, than it should be, just because I think the players are kind of going to go into business for themselves a little bit in this one. It's a game that both teams will fancy to win, um, in my opinion, and and that's going to cause that sort of stretched game. <sighs> I don't know how to call this. I'm going to go with the 1-1 draw. I'm going to go with the 1-1 draw. But I, you know what? For Of all the games this weekend, any scoreline wouldn't surprise me in this game just because yeah. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with these two teams and, and the way they're playing at the moment. But let's move on to... Another game with really good midfielders that's going to be, well, hopefully fun to watch, but it's Wolves versus Newcastle. Now, Khaled, Wolves now have one of my favorite midfields in the Premier League. Ruben Neves, Martinho, and Nunes. I mean, that that trio was so fun to watch against Spurs. Um, they just don't have a striker at the moment. Um, George Mendes. It's George Mendes' team, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, the guy is also playing football manager uh, with Wolves himself. It's madness how they... Yeah, really, really good players. How long they'll be there for, God knows. Yeah, I mean, them getting, you know, the likes of Guedes and stuff is just unheard of for me. Like, how how is he ending up there? But anyway, um, you know... They've been linked with strikers. They were linked before with Pelotti. Um, yeah. I think he's kind of holding out for a bigger team. Uh, Sasha Kaldzic, um, he's, he's in talks with them apparently in, in, in Wolves um, to, to get him over the line. So these are strikers that I think would improve them and help them out. But for me, I'm interested to see that midfield against the Bruno Gramaresh. The Joe Linton, the false, the false Willock. Forward. Don't forget Willock, and then Willock. Yeah, Willock the Pillock in there as well. Um, I think this is going to be a really fun battle in midfield. Uh, I can't wait. I hope that uh, Adama Traore starts just so we can have Saint Maximin and him on the pitch, just going one for one. They can just pass the ball Gucci to each other and, and go one for one. We'll pull Gucci and Louis. Yeah, I, I, I hope. I hope he's up. There's no chance he's starting, but it, it would have been fun. Um, just because of the goals issue, I've gone with a 2-1 Newcastle win here. I, I'm, I'm struggling to see, until Wolves sort out that front line in terms of getting more lethal players that can get the goals in. Hopefully Jimenez is back um, and, and he starts. I mean, he came on in the last game. But yeah. if he starts, maybe it's a different conversation. But as it stands, I've got 2-1 Newcastle. How are you feeling about this game? Uh, I'm, I Actually, I'm scared of Newcastle. The reason why I say I'm scared is because they're a team on the yard. Uh, and they've got the infrastructure with their fans. I know it's a bit cliche, but 
genuinely, if you watch Newcastle home games and Newcastle away games, their support they have is crazy. And I feel like they really know how, to, how they want to play now. Uh, and the energy that they bring to games is actually insane. The way that they played against City, I mean, Grealish cast Almiron. Almiron will run his socks off. And yeah, he may not have the most amazing technical ability compared to other players, but the fact what he lacks in technical ability makes up for in hard work. And I feel like they've got that throughout the team. They all have a chip on their shoulder. They're Jolinton and Bruno G. They're literally, they're sensational. Like, I don't even know where that's come from. Uh, they need to join Arsenal and join up available because these Brazilian players are absolutely killing it in the Premier League. But no, genuinely speaking, uh, I will have to back Newcastle here. I feel like they're the form team. Uh, so I'm going to go with a 1-0 to Newcastle purely for the reason of, I think, having uh, Dan Byrne at left-back targets injured, uh, as well as Ben Botman. Uh, it will shore them up. Newcastle's defence, I think, will hold out. I don't think... I think Wolves are quite blunt, as we've discussed. The only chance of Wolves actually scoring would probably be Adama uh, and his baby oil. But, yeah, <laughs> I had to get his baby oil in. Like, genuinely speaking, he went to Barcelona for a year acting like a big man, and he came back, and he's still using the same chance of his baby oil that he used on the bench at Barca. So, yeah, 1-0 uh, Newcastle. One nil to Newcastle in that game. Let's head over to our final game of the weekend: Nottingham Forest against Spurs. I, I'll keep this short, short and sweet, right? Let me sum this game up for you, Khaled. And and if if, if you don't agree, let me know. But yeah. this is how this game's gonna go. Kane's gonna get the ball, and he's gonna play it over the top uh, to Son, and Son's gonna score goals. This is against a very slow Forest defense, especially now that Niakate is injured. Um, so for me, I just see Son, a Son hat trick, uh, Kane assisting all of them. Uh, maybe Kuliszewski get a goal in there as well because we know he w- he was quiet last week. If he's quiet last week, he's usually going to show up the next week. He, w- he was better in the second half when they started playing through him a bit, but I, I thought he could have done more in the first half. So I'm going with a four nil Spurs win, and and they're going to be keeping on your heels, Khaled. Are, are you scared? Are you getting worried or are you, are you confident, um, obviously, with, with the way you started? I mean, they've started pretty well as well. Um, it, they might yeah. not have played well in all their games. Um, I don't think they've, they've played well enough to be at the points that they are at the moment. But this is what Conte brings. Conte teams don't also necessarily have to play well, but they'll get the results. Um, do you think they get the result against Nottingham Forest, who I think have obviously, I mean, it's a fantastic start to the season for them. Uh, they've got four points on the board. I think they've been a bit a touch lucky in some of the games. Um, I mentioned, for example, that West Ham game. I, I don't think, um, you know, if we play that game 10 times, they probably lose it eight times out of 10. Um, so can they go at another game where they're very lucky and, 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 and get a result? I, I think they, the Spurs attack is too good and too quick. Um, to 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 not be able to score goals and get a win in this one. Yeah, uh, I would say it depends how high not how high not in this forest defense plays. If they play a high line, they're going to get crucified. Just like you said, exactly that spot on. Harry Kane turn play the ball on goal, uh, and it will be a route. However, if not even forest set out the stool whereby which they play a low block. And they let Jay Ling sort of dunk on everyone and Millie Rock his way across the pitch <laughs> and sort of moonwalk his way around uh, everywhere. I feel like they can have some success. Uh, Brennan Johnson's a really good player. 
Uh, I feel like he's underrated, and I would have him as my underdog for Young Player of the Year. Uh, genuinely speaking, I think he's really good. Uh, their formations match up. They're both going to be playing the 3-5-2 with the wing back. So I feel like this game could be a draw. I haven't been convinced this Spurs. I'm not just saying that as an Arsenal fan. I was watching the game on the plane back uh, against Wolves. Spurs didn't do anything at all. They got lucky to get three points in that game. And I feel like Nottingham Forest, especially being at home, they've got good support. They're signing players every 60 seconds. <laughs> the crowd will be up for it. Uh, and I'm not sure, but I think that this game is... Is it on Sunday? Yes, it is. And is it a televised game? Yeah, it's the late kickoff. Yeah, it's the late kickoff. So not enough for it. It's their big time. They can talk about all their Champions Leagues like Liverpool fans do. They can talk about <laughs> Brian Clough and Nigel Clough and they can whip out everything and have the whole parade up. I genuinely feel like they can get points here. Maybe I have demons because Nottingham Forest beat us in the FA Cup last year, but I feel like this game would be much more competitive. Uh, so I'm actually going to go with a score draw. I'm going to go 1-1. A 1-1 to, to end yeah. off this, uh, the game week for Khaled there. Um, Khaled, that is going to do it for another episode of A Tad Predictable. Do you have anything that you want to plug, put over or promote before we wrap up? Yeah, no, I'm just going to give a shout out to my sister, Shimi, uh, and shout out also my law firm, Axis Solicitors. Uh, if you ever need any legal help or any advice, I'd be more than happy to help. Just reach out to the team uh, and I'll be happy to give you a call. Awesome stuff, guys. Definitely go check out. Uh, do you have the website there, Khaled? Uh Yeah, it's uh, lawyer. Awesome stuff. Um, and then from my end, guys, go and check out the content on EPR Index website. We have match previews, post-match reviews, player performances, all of the news that you guys can keep up with. If you want to know which new player that Nottingham Forest have signed in the last five minutes, definitely go check out uh, EPRindex.com. Of course, go and check out The Daily Show. It's a two-footer podcast with Dave Hendrick. Finally, also check out The Flagship Show. It runs weekly. It's usually out uh, Monday mornings or late Sunday evenings. It's the EPL roundtable where Kev DeVries sits down with panelists from respective EPL teams. They do reviewings and previewings of the happenings around the EPL. Guys, go and follow this show's uh, Twitter channel, uh, Twitter page at a tad predictable. Go follow at EPL Index on Twitter. Subscribe to EPL Index on your podcast channels, um, podcast providers. Give us five stars. Write positive comments. That stuff really goes a long way. Uh, I've been Tadio Chanakira. You can find me on Twitter at Tad Predicts. Huge thank you to Ovi Semenya. He does our guest intros. He's at John Empire SA. Our producer behind the glass, Mr. Guy Drinkle. He's at Guy Drinkle on Twitter. He's been colored, as he said, access lawyers. Go and check them out. And remember, Jusinga Perry. She's not sure. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Son had a goal and scored a what a strike from Yuri Tielemans. De Bruyne. And it's Wood. Martinelli Fortress. Still going up. Oh, he's done it again. Sports Social Podcast Network.